Hey, I hope you're enjoying this content. Want to make sure that you know about our Facebook group. It's totally free, but it's a great place to post any questions you might have, get some resources, talk to people who are doing the clinic gym model. You can find it on Facebook and it's called the Clinic Gym Hybrid Discussion Group. Once again, the Clinic Gym Hybrid Discussion Group. If you haven't gotten in there yet, you have to answer a couple questions so we can keep the deadbeats out, but we'd love to have you in there. And if you ever have a question about, hey, I don't know how to set up my insurance or what company do you use for this equipment? That is the absolute best place to post. Every day we're getting great questions and even better answers. And man, there's tons of resources out there that I didn't even know about. So once again, check us out on Facebook. It's the Clinic Gym Hybrid Discussion Group. Hope to see you there. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. This is Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm excited for you to be on this journey. Look, when I started my Clinic Gym Hybrid back in 2013, I didn't have a place to go for resources. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we're here. I hope you dig this interview. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, as always, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am excited today to be joined by Dr. Frank Benedetto. Frank, how are you? Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Now, Frank, you are a PT. I'm a Cairo. So if we can, uh, we won't have to physically battle like the, the, <laughs> you know, what is it? The, the sharks and the jets. But uh, I, I think we both looking at your amazing social media following. Uh, I think we can both agree on many things like great clinical outcomes and uh, actually clinicians making some money doing that or producing those outcomes. Uh, but can you give everybody a little bit of background on you and the funny enough named Honey Badger Project that you're that you co-founded. Yeah, well, I'll give you a quick aside. I actually recreated the uh, what's the the what's that the movie? West Side Story. West Side Story as a high yeah. school project. And nice. Uh, so well, hopefully that footage never gets out. You never know. <laughs> uh, where do you want me to start? You know, the, my story is one that's yeah. Well, you're a PT by tra- by training, yeah. right? You're a physical therapist and you got all the letters like OCS and SCS and all that stuff after your name, which two chiropractors, most of my listeners are chiropractors. Uh, those are like specialty trainings. We have the equivalent would be like a DAC bar or a uh, diplomate of rehab or sports diplomate. We approach that uh, education a little differently. But in the end, I think we all end up, I don't know if you can agree, that's a lot of clinical training that doesn't help anybody make any more money. Absolutely. I just dropped mine. So the, okay. the OCS and the SCS were arguably my greatest clinical accomplishments in my right. first few years, but I was less than 1% of all PTs had both of those. Okay. And um, at the 10 year mark, I said, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I yeah. am not jumping. Well, hold on a groups. second, Frank. I'm yeah. sure every patient that scrolled through websites looking for somebody that had both SCS and OCS <laughs> and yeah. wouldn't go to you unless they had, you had that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. At least that's what the uh, certifying bodies want you to believe. We have the same thing in Cairo. I mean, this is just a, you know, and as you know, people can have a million letters after their names, but it doesn't have any effect on what patients, you know, their interpretation is. So, yeah. But give me a little, sure. Give me a little background on the Honey Badger Project. What is it? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think where I'll start is, just a little bit of the backstory because the Honey Badger Project was born out of necessity and is really the the culmination of my life's work. So the crib notes version of how I even got into this field is broke my leg at 16. You know, I, I, like many of us, we had an injury and saw the amazing power of the rehab professions and uh, had an incredible recovery only to then have a surgery when I was 20 that completely failed. And this was between undergrad and grad school so just you know, within a year after that surgery, to which I, I still have very limited shoulder function, range of motion, strength, whole deal. I was sitting in class looking at an, an instructor explaining what should have happened. And I'm sitting there as a you know, 20, 21 year old kid essentially saying, what the fuck? How is this possible? Yeah. They weren't bad people. Like the, those yeah. people cared. And I was just so confused. I was like, wait, that surgery I had wasn't even the right surgery. That surgery yeah. was 10 year old surgery. This is, I should have had this and the, I probably didn't even need it. I probably just needed to get stronger. What happened? And that was the beginning of the seeds of, you know, a little bit of a, I don't know, anarchist flair of my approach to healthcare of, uh, you know, still very much in love with the skill set that we learn and the impact we can have, but 
also approaching it from a place of significant doubt at the societal yeah. and the systemic level. Yeah. To which then, you know, many years later, I opened up my first practice in 2015 and, uh, you know, through blood, sweat, and tears, was able to sell that practice in 2019, five locations, 50 employees. And it wasn't that we sold because we had reached some sort of end game and said, ah, let's do it. Let's have an exit. I reached a point where I was being forced to decide how to navigate the cuts because we were still too insurance-based. We, mm. we had uh, the roots of cash-based, niche-based programs, but yeah. we launched as an insurance-centric business and the, the yeah. amount of effort to pivot would have just been astronomical. So we decided to extract the value and sell. Which to be fair, I mean, that's the water you're swimming in as a PT, right? Like if you're a, a fish in the PT pond, like insurance is 99, 98% of what drives PT companies, right? I mean- In the old way, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think chiropractors, those listening, one thing I always hear from PTs that I've worked with or interviewed is, oh man, you guys, it's so easy for you to go cash. It's so this and that. And I always think like, what, what? Like, and my interpretation is, I think it's about as easy for us as it is for you. And I think we're secretly jealous of all the referrals you guys get from doctors, right? <laughs> and you guys are secretly yeah. jealous of all the the direct access or, you know, like the, the entrepreneurial spirit that uh, a lot of chiropractors have. And in the end, it's like, dude, we have a license that's wide open to touch people. Make of it what you will. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I, yeah. So you sell all those things in two, ni- 2019. 2019. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to get to the next stage here because you came up with a great, I don't know what to say, a great model that's, that seemed like it was floating on under everybody's nose, but you actually maximized it and built it out. We did. Yeah. So yeah. in 2019, as we were exiting, I had already started thinking about what I was going to do next. And mm-hmm. as far as clinical care, I was so freaking burnt out from just seeing... Mm the general population. And I had succeeded enough to the point where I was, I was really functioning as a regional manager for myself. And that sucked, man. I was like, I succeed. I was the definition of succeeding into a place that you hated. I was you, wait, you woke up one day with like white new balance shoes on some khakis <laughs> with pleats in them and a button. I never got that like, far. What, don't, don't, don't what happened to me? me? What happened? <laughs> it was, it was more so the time in the car where I was like, yeah. man, I need to be much more strategic about my long-term yeah. thinking. Because I had just succeeded with the sense of momentum yeah. without necessarily reverse engineering a, a more of a master plan. And that master plan doesn't always come out exactly what we think. But if yeah. you have one, chances are you're going to get more directionally correct to sure. that than if you just follow the ebbs and flows of opportunities. Yeah. So I was really starting to think very differently about my next set of ventures unshackled from the previous business. Mm. And that's really when I launched my first remote and hybrid Clinics, what we, you know, we have different definitions of hybrid. Um, at that stage, that's what I called hybrid. We now refer to this whole concept as the evolving practice model. But in 2019, I essentially really took a look at the, the, the technology landscape. And I was always obsessed with Y Combinator. Y Combinator is a Silicon Valley inc- business incubator where anyone can yeah. go with any idea. And in 16 weeks or six months, you, you leave with a real business. And I thought to myself, like, man, I wish I could go there. I had two kids at the time about to have my third. I'm like, there's no way I could do that. That's for 24-year-olds who are going to live in, like, a couch or some shit. So I thought to myself, well, what what would it take to create my own incubator? And while I was building and scaling my clinical side, I then started to build a healthcare business incubator where – Anyone with any idea can come and we help turn it into a business in 16 weeks um, with a heavy emphasis on technology, with a heavy emphasis on remote aspects. And again, this Love is 2019. It. So I just yeah. kind of found myself at the center of what the world needed in 2020, which then took that brand and our model and made it mainstream in physical therapy. So that's awesome. I, I mean, I got so many questions now. This is, this is going to be a great, a great interview here. Uh, so for those listening, when you say like hybrid and whatnot, I just want to make sure people understand because they might be stuck in like the, um, you know, the mindset of like people show up to a clinic, you treat them, they go home, you stay there, you never go home, that kind of crappy setup. But what, what you're, what you, if I understand it right, the business model you set up was 
patients come in to see you at a physical brick and mortar once or a couple times, but a lot of the service or healthcare you're offering them is in a is through a remote driven platform, meaning a technology thing, an app on their phone or a website they log into, and they're doing a program, checking off what they've done. There's some accountability and some other things. But basically, if I looked at for every 10 visits, only a couple of those are occurring in person. Correct. Is that right? Yeah, nailed it. So the, the, and us being an incubator, what that means is this is not a copy and paste platform. Right. So I think there are literally infinite ways to build a hybrid that depends on the population that you're solving, the problems you're solving. So for some, when I practiced personally, I would see people one time and one time only in the combat sports realm because 90% of combat sports injuries does actually come from impact. It comes from ridiculous training schedules, right? Oh, yeah. So the I would see them in person, get a feel for their overall physical well-being, their assessment, their phys- physical assessment. And then I would say, okay, great. Everything from this point forward could be done through the app. You know, you're going to get awesome. a communication with me. There might be one Zoom call a month. Sometimes there wasn't even that. Other people inside the program, they might work with a population that needs still three-time-a-week treatment, mm. but the reality, three-time-a-week treatment is still a tiny fraction of a person's week. So oh, yeah. chances are, if they truly need three-time-a-week treatment, chances are they actually, what they really need is the glue between those sessions and yeah. delivering that asynchronously. So it could be as as little as once and never again. It could be right. as much as three times a week with all of those remote and asynchronous delivery mechanisms in between. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting um, because I, I don't know if you've heard this concept of a, the ghost kitchen. Have you heard of this, these things? So, you know, uh, like it's a, it, like with the, the advent of like Grubhub and, and Postmates and all that, it's these restaurants that go like, hold on a second. Do we really need a dining room? What if we just had a kitchen and the only way you can get our food is, Grubhub or Postmates or somebody yeah. delivers it because you got the people showing up to a location. And if you think about it, what's the big cost? The, the dining room is the big cost of square footage, right? If you have like a, let's say you're running on, I don't know, Olive Garden. Um, and, uh, and the problem with that is it has to be like in the best location, right? Because you need people to see it from the street. So you're paying a lot for a lot of space and they're going, wait, wait a second, dollar for dollar, most of our money is made in cooking the food. Why not just deliver it and reduce our operating costs by a boatload, right? And so I'm thinking with your with what you're saying about asynchronous and you know have people do it without you physically being there. If somebody's a member of a great gym, they can do all their rehab there, right? And they can do it at 6 a.m. or they can do it at 9 p.m., which are both hours Frank doesn't want to be in the office working, right? And maybe that for them, that's the best time to do it, and they'll actually do it then. And and instead of you creating a physical space with physical equipment, and then the gym also has a physical space with physical equipment, and the person might have the physical space and physical equipment at home, we've said like, hold on a second, it's not a space issue. It's an expertise issue. And that's what you get from, you know, from your system is let's rely on the expertise. That's where the true value is. But in the past, it's come with all this, whatever you want to call that, residual cost of physical space and equipment. Exactly. And you just like wipe that off the board. And yeah. so it just reminds me of those ghost kitchens now that are super popular, which is like, we don't need a dining room. If you're going to eat at home, you don't care what our restaurant looks like when the Grubhub guy picks it up, you know? Yeah. So they build these things and, in like and, industrial and think spaces. About, and think about the profit margins. Yeah. So, you know, the, Unbelievable. I often have to educate the clinicians that come to us are usually newbies, you know, in, yeah. in, the, in the program that we have, we have a couple of different levels of the program, but the primary one is for, People launching a business start yeah. from zero to launch, getting their first few clients. And just for, for knowledge, is that people typically in your program coming out of school or is it people since PTs, a lot of them work for like a hospital or huge, you know, whatever group practice yeah. and get burnout like crazy. Are you seeing them coming out of that? So they've been in a clinical setting for three years and they're just like, I cannot do this anymore. Full spectrum. Yeah, full okay. spectrum. We, we've seen okay. across the board. We're actually starting to get see more older clinicians now too. Yeah. That I would just imagine that that group yeah. is way more motivated because they know what hell looks like. They know, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. 7.30 a.m. showing up to this, the places, you know, has the linoleum oh, floors and, yeah. and a well, regional well, manager, not as cool as Frank Benedetto, you know? 
The other cool thing too is we we started with physical therapy because that's my that's who I am. So they assumed like, oh, that guy could help me. But recently we actually enrolled a veterinarian. Literally, we have a hybrid veterinarian. And the success, the early success stories that's coming out of that really makes me believe that the recipe is applicable to everyone. Absolutely every clinician that exists out there. And um We've even we've had a ton of mental health professionals. We've had a ton of chiropractors. So I believe that this is the future of healthcare. I really do. And our brand, the Honey Badger Project, the goal for us in the coming years is to go you know, wider and reflect that scope and no longer be viewed as as just you know uh, specializing in physical therapy. But back to the profit margins, people new to business don't understand profit margin, right? That concept is something you have to get defined and understand. And in the real business world, <laughs> you know, where brick and mortars and overhead, like 40% is exceptional, right? At 40%. Oh, oh my God. You're like, yeah, if you walked into Best Buy or someplace and you said, what if we got you a 40% profit margin? You'd Throwing money you, at you. Yeah. yeah. You'd be the most yeah. famous person in all of business. Yeah. Our, in our model, that's, you'd be a bottom performer essentially. So you could take wow. a brick and mortar and when you layer in the the right combination of fully remote services and hybrid services, the profit margin just goes through the roof. And the mm. size of the caseload compared to the amount of the hours you need to put in go down. And when you build it really reverse engineering for a specific subset, you are solving their problems in such a unique way because you're not trying to talk to everyone. Mm. So the way this can manifest for let's say some of your clients is niche programs. So if you're mm -hmm. already a generalist, you don't have to now just go shut that down and say, oh, I focus on runners because that's often a misconception of the way I talk. It's about looking at your, your, your target market, your population and saying, what are the top niches within here? Mm -hmm. How do I create a multi-niche practice yeah. out of my generalist practice? And chances are you'll be able to launch some fully remote and hybrid niche programs that can then be the profit centers and maybe take over the rest of the clinic in time, but it mm -hmm. doesn't have to. So don't stop. Uh, it's like going on a, what do they say? If you go on a diet, they say add in first, don't take away because it, it's a psychological feeling. So it's yes. like add in two cups of broccoli at every meal. And then pretty soon you'll be pushing the non-nutritious stuff out of your diet because you're adding in. So you're saying don't stop treating anybody, but just start doing these niche programs. And if you're truly passionate about like you were with combat sports or I love working with golfers, it's going to grow and grow and grow. And pretty soon it'll be like, well, listen, I don't, I don't have time for, you know, uh, Nancy Smith, the teacher, because I'm booked up with the pe the patients that I love working with. Yeah. And on the other side of the spectrum, there are people who are like, I, I don't think I have a niche. Like I, I just, mm -hmm. I like working with mm -hmm. the general population. I like the variety. Then that's okay, but your job then is to add in the technology. So you can have a general hybrid offer, but it does require you to start mm -hmm. saying, how do I, how do I de-emphasize my time yeah. and put the emphasis on a process? And then when mm -hmm. you sell your process, people buy the process to get the outcome that they're looking for. You are no longer the product, your process is. And that makes you much more scalable. That gives yeah. you, it gives you intellectual property. It gives you differentiator and yeah. you don't necessarily need to niche down, but you need to have a process. Yeah. And when you're saying sell your process, you're not saying sell it to somebody who wants to buy your clinic system, your clinic or your system. You're saying sell it to the patient. Hey, Correct. Mr. Yes. Golfer, here's our four step process that we're going to get you feeling better and hit the ball yeah. farther. Boom. Yep. Phases, go, phases are yeah. good ways to put this. You know, here's yeah. our, our six phase return to sport ACL program uh, yeah. or, or again, speaking more generalist is like, here's, here's how my process works. We're going to do an in-person eval. And then yeah. here's, you know, you, you label yeah. your plan of care more creatively and you sell yeah. your plan of care, but you frame it in a way that your plan of care is not just right now. Most, I, if I guess most people are selling plans of care centric visits, it is, your plan of care is 12 visits over the course of whatever period of time. Yeah. Instead is the combination of delivery mechanisms, yeah. which could include some pre-filmed education. Uh, it could include some habit tracking, accountability to do those habits, accountability to do 
remote programming an app that shows them the exercises they're supposed to do instead of you know yeah. printing it out or just showing them in person something along those lines. I love it. Yeah, I think people too, and I would love you to speak on this. Um, when you, how would I say this? I was lucky enough to be exposed to, uh, so I teach for functional movement systems. And so I've, I've met a ton of physical therapists. And, and in doing that, learning what I know, looking back, my hip evals sucked as a chiropractor. And then I got around some PTs who were really good, especially those who were doing like post-op rehab of, you know, liberal tears and cam impingements and all that stuff. Their overall general assessment of the hip was amazing. And I luckily picked that up from them, right? And along the way too, I, I have since we are the clinic gym hybrid, like talk to a lot of gym owners and fitness instructors and people, personal trainers and stuff and hearing the ways they handle things. I'm like, oh, that's, so that all is to say, uh, I was shocked when I learned about how much people are willing to pay for accountability. Like I have a friend and all he runs are weight loss programs. And one of the things it includes is Friday check-ins and Friday check-ins are mostly done virtually. And all you just get on your iPhone with your coach and you stand on a scale and the coach needs to see the numbers and you say the numbers and then they log it, right? That call takes less than 10 minutes. And he said, I tried to sell a program without that and I couldn't sell it for even half the value, you know? And, and he was making the point that like Weight Watchers is essentially a company built almost purely on accountability. Almost purely. There's no, they're not selling meals. They're not doing food prep for you. They don't have a gym inside. And yet they're very successful at what their mission is, is helping people lose weight. It's through accountability, right? Meet up on Saturday mornings, go to your Weight Watchers meeting. So, but that aspect, I think, if you talk to anybody who's 99% of clinicians, Cairo, PT, ATC, doesn't matter. You go, hey, how much would, you know, accountability be valued to your patients? They'd be like, I, I'm, I couldn't charge for it. And, you know, and it's like, oh, oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Yeah. So. And it's really... It, it, I'm glad you're bringing this up because there's even when we get people to let's say agree to that, it almost feels like weird. Like, oh, am I really going to charge that? No, this is the mindset switch. Is that that accountability is actually what brings your expert knowledge base to life. So if you mm -hmm. want your expertise actually to work in the real world and and serve people, it must be matched with accountability because getting people to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it is quite literally the gatekeeper to all clinical outcomes. And clinical outcomes breeds all business outcomes. So you want to make more money? All of us here do, right? When you have somebody who is actively involved in your process and believes it, they will tell 20 people. You know, you have somebody who buys your process and uh, you know, falls off, they're not telling anybody. And they may not blame you, but that's the dirty secret of most of healthcare, in my opinion. I think that patients blame themselves for not doing what they're supposed to do. They don't blame the clinician because the clinician might've given them good education during an hour, but that education never made it to real life. And I believe we need to shift that responsibility to us. We are not just, you know, a Wikipedia listing of good information. The world's information is at their fingertips, especially with ChatGPT. I mean, once the regular public understands what they can ask AI, yeah. there's nothing that we can't answer yeah. that, that it, can We're, we we have equal knowledge bases? Yeah. So what's going to be the differentiator? Dude. It's going to be human connection. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. And I think that people again underestimate this, especially clinicians. Whatever. So like, it's like any any orthopedic test, any range of motion, any any clinical exam of any body part. I'm I would bet you hundred dollars is available on YouTube. You can see a video of those things, right? So then if it exists that way, then why would people still hire a clinician? Why would they still go to a PT if this, and it's like, because that's not wisdom. That's not the integration of knowledge. That's facts, right? Same with ChatGPT. Like you, all of that is equal, but what is it that you bring in your professional abilities to the system? Like there is more, if you search up orthopedic tests on YouTube, you'll get like 5 million hits, Right. And that's not so, new either, right? That's been yeah. there for a decade. Yeah. So why would patients still go to you? And, and it's like, oh, because there's a lot more to it than that. Like you knowing combat sports, for example, I, I have my clinics in uh, Vegas and my early days, I saw a boatload of combat sports and like 
it was just funny to me. It's like, all right, buddy, like, you know, we're, we getting your, we fixed your shoulder. You got to take it easy for the next couple of days. He's like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just do jujitsu for three hours and kickboxing for two. I won't do weights and wrestling and whatever. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I love him. Oh, dude, good for you. I have them all. I'll send them to you. Uh, Florida is a little far away, but you know, um, anyways, uh, but going back back to a point, with, yeah, go with, ahead. Uh, yeah. So accountability, I want to really drive this home. Yeah. Clinicians, anytime they get access to any new information, they pass it through the lens of sessions, mm. right? So with your one buddy who's doing the, the accountability on a scale, yeah. that's not wrong. I have nothing against that. I actually think that's mm-hmm. genius for that specific use case. Mm-hmm. What I want to make sure is that your audience listening does not pass their accountability through sessions first. So that Explained. accountability... Let's, I'll give you exactly what I did with Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike is my fully remote platform for combat athletes. Okay. And it's from the beginning, 2019. The only one-on-one interaction with them was the sales call. So I would use Instagram marketing to attract combat athletes to my following, put out a CTA, call to action, basically have them DM me. Through DM, I would qualify a little bit, make sure they're you know, right in, in my market, ready to, to invest get them on a phone call through consultative sales, assess whether I could help them or if not. If I could, I would sell them a six-month plan of care. And that plan of care would be comprehensive around things like injury prevention, strength and conditioning, nutrition, weight cutting, things like that. And uh, that was it. That was the only synchronous time they would ever spend with me. Every single thing else was asynchronous. So this included a Monday and Thursday check-in system. So Monday was a week reflection. How did last week go? And I'm talking at the biometric level. So we had all of our athletes wear Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 biometric monitor. It's really cool because it's it, you could wear it continuously pretty much all the time. And it's the only one, in my opinion, combat athletes could wear for 99% of their training. And I would get amazing data from that. So for example, I would see to the minute how much they slept each night automatically. So on Monday, what I would do At first I did it, I would sift through their data and pick one point that led to a coaching conversation. One point that led to a conversation that would change their perspective about something. That's what I mean by coaching conversation. So you might might be looking at all their sleep data, but you go, hey, I really want to talk about the amount of REM sleep you're getting. Like that, we need to focus on that. Yeah, more often than not, didn't even get to that level. It'd be like, dude, you got five hours of sleep average last week. Average, that yeah. means there's some days where you didn't and you're trying to make it to the UFC. What, what could we do differently this week? Oh, you know what, coach? You're right. I'll start taking my sleep differently. Okay, what's, what's going to be the habit that you commit to? And they say, I'll put my phone away. I'm going to put my phone in the other room at 10 o'clock and my goal is to be asleep by 11. Cool. I'm going to add that to your habit tracker. When you wake up in the morning, when you get to your phone, if you did it, make sure you click this button. Sounds good. All of that was just a mess messaging back and forth inside the app. There was no synchronous time at all. Okay. So on Monday, I would pick either their, let's say their weights, their pain scale, uh, what, you know, depending on what they were working. I would, I would look through maybe five to 10 pieces of data, decide what's the most relevant one and have a conversation about that. Oftentimes it was, Hey, how come you missed three workouts? Everything. Okay. Are those goals you shared with me still important? then what are we going to do differently? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it didn't even progress to sleep data or HRV or anything like that. It was just compliance. So on Mondays, it would be... This is like bigger. all the people that are like, they're talking about like uh, periodization and like, should I do the, you know, window method or should I do block <laughs> periodization? And it's like, dude, you're working with like a 42-year-old working guy. Like he's going to self-periodize with between his vacations and, and kids. Like, don't worry about it. Exactly. And if they're hundred percent compliant all the time, then yeah, you, you get the chance to build an periodization. Right. I, I'll but count the, on my hand, the number of hundred percent compliant people. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking, I was talking to amateur combat athletes looking to go pro. These are extremely motivated people. So the, the regular world. So we have another program inside that business called train like a fighter that helps you know, fight fans train like their favorite fighters, man, the compliance there always starts rock bottom. And I don't view it as below us to get compliance up first before we then move into more complex things. So Monday would be a more formal, lengthy check-in. And then guess what? Once I standardized it, I hired a VA to do the heavy lifting with the data. 
So awesome. basically the VA would tell me exactly which metric I should be intervening on. And then I still did the coaching conversations until I brought on an intern. And then that intern who was a strength and conditioning coach or a physical therapist who was a new grad would then model my coaching conversations and start taking over the Monday check-ins. And that's how I scaled that business with zero synchronous time ever. That's incredible. Yeah. And just so people know, uh, sometimes I've heard asynchronous thrown out and synchronous. What that means is if you have to meet in person or at the same time as the person, your schedules need to be synchronized. Meaning if I call Frank and he picks up, it's the time out of my schedule at the exact same time out of his schedule. But asynchronous is I could send him a text message. He's with his kids. He's at work. He's whatever. And he replies in three hours. That's asynchronous. Mean not synchronized time, although we're getting the same information. So um, I just want to make sure we're on the same page uh, language-wise so people understand what that is. Because imagine if you could, you know, uh, what's I'm trying to think of. If you're doing patient records or patient notes, I think we all wish we did them synchronously, meaning at the time the patient was with us and then we're done, right? But a lot of times we do them asynchronously like later that day and, you know, in a block session. So, um, but, but changing that kind of model uh, is, is interesting. So conversations like this have to be done synchronously. I can't do an asynchronous podcast. At least I haven't yet, but you might be working on that, Frank. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so you put this together and I, I'm a little bit of a tech nerd. Like I love technology and I love, um, I think we're at the point where we have great abilities, but we're not, it's not well implemented or synchronized. So like whoop, I think is fantastic. Aura rings take great information. Omega waves, all these things are giving us incredible data, but then you have like this, uh, Apple iPhone, uh, and I, there's no like dashboard that displays those things cleanly and all this, right? Yeah. So from the tech side, what did you see? Like what parts and pieces did you see that you're like, oh man, that would be so useful or that would be so useful. Did you have to kind of hack apart a integration with some of these things? Or was it like the ability to interpret and tell somebody what these numbers mean? Like what seemed to really yeah. make a difference? So the, the latter. So I, I, I remember the day I found an article that said, the dirty secret of wearables, that the wearable industry is just booming. We all have something. Right. And well, Fitbits, all this stuff, early days. Apple yeah. Watch, you know, yeah. everybody's got something on them. Mm -hmm. The dirty secret is that at the six-month mark, most people are either ditching it or using it as a watch. So the average person who has an Apple Watch, yeah. it, it's a place to answer phone calls occasionally. It's mm -hmm. a place to see a text and it's a place to get the time. Yeah. And if you do track it as a workout, it's like, oh, there's my heart rate. It's the most basic functionality of right. all oh. time. It's just a step counter, right? Like a pedometer, yeah. which you can get for four bucks off Amazon. So the reality is, is that th there's a massive, massive shortage of the ability for consumers to understand and interpret and make meaningful behavior changes as a result of the data. So the, the way that I guide clinicians is to just figure out like what's one, two or three pieces of data that would meaningfully move the needle for your people. Find a, the easiest wearable. They're likely already wearing one. So if they have an Apple watch, how do you go about getting that data? And if you, if you're not tech savvy, it could be as simple as every Monday, there's a box inside whatever app you're using to interface with them that says screenshot, whatever you wanted to see. So if it was their Apple activity rings, you just make a task that says screenshot your Apple activities to summary for the week here. In a lot of the apps, there's already open API integrations. So for example, Trainerize, uh, Everfit, these are really easy to use apps that we recommend that are built by people to help you deploy your expert knowledge base in new ways without having any technology education at all. So TrainerEyes, for example, imports Apple Health data automatically. You can see exactly how many steps they walked without ever having to ask them. And if step count is a goal, you could log in and see and be like, hey, great job, celebrate them. Or say, hey, notice your step counts below the last few days. What could you do differently in the next day or two with your schedule? So I, I believe there's a huge need for us to help consumers 
make meaningful changes based on their data. Yeah. Yeah. I think people should have the perspective. Like if a patient walks in with an x-ray, a set of x-rays or MRI, um, they have it, they, they, they can look at it themselves, but it doesn't mean anything to them. They can't interpret it. Right. And so I personally think like this is the next, like you're saying, the evolution of healthcare or uh, the evolving practice is people are going to walk in because sensors and, and data is so easy to acquire now. It's like I work with golfers and it more and more they're getting on 3D, uh, yep. 3D systems to get tracked for rotation. And then they're also coming in with like launch monitor data, meaning you hit a ball and it tells you here's how much it spun. Did it go right or left? How high did it apex? All this stuff. But they don't know how to correlate all that stuff. And if you can be somebody that goes, all right, let me see all your data. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Much like if you pointed at an x-ray and you go, mm, uh-huh, interesting, yeah, look at your hip here. They're going to appreciate that so much and you become the expert, especially yep. if you can simplify it and help them understand. And all they have to do is wear the whoop bracelet. That's all they have to do, right? And then all of a sudden you are the, the person that's going, well, with that data, I can make all these insights. Yep. There's so much freaking value there that when people are like, oh, I don't know if I could do this asynchronously, I'm like, it, it's not a... It's not a value issue if you just phrase it the right way. Like the value of your service in that sense is overwhelming to the patient. Uh, it's going to be new. Like, I don't think most people have experienced that, but my God, like the ability for them to walk in and you go, oh, I see you're wearing an Apple watch and a, you got an iPhone and you got this and uh, let's start making a profile of you. Hmm. <laughs> interesting. You know? Oh, you, it, you will be the incredible. most cutting edge healthcare provider they've ever interfaced with. Oh yeah. there. If you use their Apple Watch data, if you use their Fitbit data, if you use their Whoop data, you will be the top 1% of healthcare providers they've ever interacted with. It's right at your fingertips. It's so yeah. easy. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. I never, it's like hitting me like how much data is sitting there that's just on a server somewhere that's not getting used for, yeah. for that. And you can be like, no problemo. Yep. You know? Exactly. God. Yeah. It's uh, my friend always says like in business, if you can find a way to sell the sawdust, like if you, if you're making like furniture and then you're like, what do we do with this big pile of sawdust? And it's like, well, you sell it to somebody else. It's like, oh, I need bedding for my, you know, uh, iguana farm or something. And it's like, okay, well I'll give you a really good deal on it. It's, it's a waste product essentially. And you're selling it to somebody. Right. But that, that can be, that can happen. That's awesome. So, so man, so the Honey Badger Project, going back to that name, yeah. is all of this stuff, it's focused on helping clinicians realize, hey, there's a, there's a business here that's, that we can, we can um, I don't know what the term is. Yeah, the, the, the short Creative version business. is that we yeah. help clinicians reimagine the way they practice by using readily available technology. So it's whether you've awesome. been in business and you're trying to figure out how to add technology. Yeah for new revenue streams or to operationalize or to systematize or to streamline things, or whether you're a startup reverse engineering, starting off being innovative, mm. that's our sweet spot. Now, yeah. how is it an incubator incubator by definition is, you know, through principle based learning. So what's really cool is every person who comes out of our program has a completely different looking business. It's like mm. when you do it properly, your business looks like it's like a fingerprint. You can't possibly right. be replicated which gives you longevity in the marketplace. Sure. And, um, you know, what, I, there's, there's really two types of people that join us. One is the overwhelming majority, which is what I would call local impact driven. And that is the clinician who cares very much about their local community or maybe a specific online community. And they want to serve maybe 40, 50, 100, 200 people exceptionally well and live a mm -hmm. great life because of that. Mm -hmm. That's most of our members. But I wanted to create a place for the 1% crazy people who thought that they maybe could change the world <laughs> and operate at the societal level. And yeah. that's really where the incubator um, you know, has a unique angle to it, where Cedric and I, my, my co-founder of the, the Honey Badger Project, we have an investment vehicle, an investment arm of the business called HB Ventures. And this is where we personally invest and advise in the most innovative you know, but, uh, founders who are thinking more operating on a societal level or in an entire industry. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. Our first investment was into a company called Offshift, which 
uh, was founded by a physical therapy student, believe it or not, who he created this idea before he even graduated, wow. graduated and brought this to life in the last year or two. Uh, and then we made the investment about a year ago. And nice. he created a digital health model for the industrial sector, specifically oh. starting with truck drivers. Love and it. this guy spent, what's different about this approach is when you start with consumer first, then you go up to the corporate level, you know the client better than the corporation knows their employee. So Mark spent two years going direct to consumer, enrolling truck drivers into his program, and then went to the truck companies and said, I spent two years with these drivers. The reason why your corporate wellness and your digital health companies aren't working is because they were built for people working in a cubicle, white collar jobs. Here's what they need. And now we have 21 yeah. truck companies with a thousand drivers on caseload. And Amazing. we're raising a million dollars to, to build out a custom, uh, custom code AI centric app to really deliver something unbelievable to, to the industrial sector. So the, that's like the spectrum though. So we, we help people get started, get their first few clients. Some, some people stay side hustle and I don't force my goals on anybody. Yeah. Some people want to go to self-employed where they no longer work for somebody and they just, they make a good living, but they don't really want to manage people. They just want to yeah. make as much money as they can make a loan with the help of technology. That's cool. Yeah. We, we need an army of them to disrupt healthcare. And then you have your, you know, maybe more business owners who like the idea of having a small team or even a large team. Um, and we have a place for, for all of them. That's, that's what the Honey Badger Project is. That's awesome. Uh, can you share with people where to find you on Instagram and, and uh, where to find the Honey Badger Project if, if this is like tickling their feathers? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Instagram is the best place to reach me personally. That's Frank underscore Benedetto. So you can reach out, say hello. I've got a huge library of free trainings if you want to check any yeah. of them out. And I, you got some great posts too that just, I think, uh, get you get people thinking. I, I was looking through your social media recently and I'm like, man, there's some, I like some of what you're, you know, what you're saying. Even talking about like how we got to wrap our arms around patient outcomes as the driver of whatever we do. You know, if it's technology, if it's visit structure, whatever you're doing, just wrap your arms around the, the patient outcomes and then everything else will work, work itself out. But uh, you can't think cost savings as the driver. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Cool. And then the Honey Badger Project, is there a website or anything? Uh, yeah, we are honeybadgers.com. Nice. And now, is that set in the, is that, Said in the tone of "We are Sparta" from the movie Three Hundred. <laughs> you know, it, it was because somebody took the website honeybadgers.com or the honeybadgerproject.com or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Frank, this has been exciting. I think uh, we might need to do a part two because, like, I think we're barely scratched service. Like, I want to dive deep into the technologies that allow clinicians to, you know, kind of uh, change their business model because yeah. I think. You just what you said about like the whoop bracelet or all this Apple health data that's out there and could be so important and so impactful is, is, a, a un, you're uncovering acres of diamonds there, you know, like, because there's all these sensors pulling all this data and it's amazing what they've done, but nobody's using it. Nobody's applying it to health. And so therefore it's not nearly as effective as it could be. I remember, uh, my my instructor for radiology one time said, you know, when MRIs came out, uh, there was a big faction of medicine that said, this is the most accurate way to measure body fat percentage. And he said, can you imagine if we had dedicated MRI machines to that? Hmm. Like what an underutilizing the the um, technology or the opportunity, right? And then luckily we're like, no, we should probably look at like joints and tendons and ligaments and stuff. And if you're just, you know, imagine every MRI machine, like its primary job was to just talk in the weight loss sector. And it's like, God, what an, how about underutilizing or putting, sucking the least amount of value out of an incredible technology. So it sounds like you're doing what, that with health data as well. Because we're all using yeah. it as pedometers. You know, it's essentially yeah. what, it's a pedometer and a clock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both, exactly. Both available. I remember the one I got in 1990s where you yeah. clipped onto your belt. That's essentially how we're all using this technology. And I think we are uh, in a concluding point We're we're at a precipice of a real change in society with technology. A AI is real. I know a lot of people who aren't following it very closely think it might be yeah. hype or it feels like the crypto craze. It's not. 
it's very different. It's got a lot of mm-hmm. use cases that are very real. And yeah. um, I think the window for us to start adopting technology is right now that there is a mm-hmm. significant advantage for clinicians who incorporate technology, even at the bare minimum right now, because the world is going to look very different in a decade. It might look very yeah. different sooner than that, but I'll be conservative and say in a decade, there will be AI that will be able to function the way we're talking about. Yeah. And that means that the opportunity is right now to get ahead of that curve because there's either people being replaced by technology or people using the technology. And yeah. I choose the latter. I will be yeah. the person who uses the technology and I will never be replaced because of that. And I think more clinicians, not from a place of fear, but from a place of true, just seeing the, the possibilities of the client outcomes, the financial outcomes, the, the, the lifestyle outcomes of using technology, it's, yeah. it's just too much to ignore and it's never been easier. So if you're listening right. to this, my call to action is take the first step. That might be downloading one app and just playing with it. It might be yeah. downloading one app and asking a buddy, be like, hey, can I just add you as a patient to sing? I want to screw around with it and see. Yeah. It might be taking your five favorite clients and saying that to them and say, hey, I'm going to give you yeah. this thing for free or super cheap just so that I could learn it, be really transparent. And yeah. then start raising your rates or jump right up to the amount that you deserve. Wow. Yeah, I think that, man, that's a, a future-looking vision that I think is, is great for everybody here. Especially, you know, we're talking between the, the week between Christmas and New Year's and people are looking at what's, what's the next year look like or maybe in the next two or three years. And if you haven't incorporated some source of reliable data, and the crazy thing is, this is also stuff that people don't have to think about collecting. You know, like, you don't have to ask them to, a blood glucose monitor, right? You have to prick your finger. You have to sit there in the bathroom. You have to upload, you know, this is real time collecting it already. So you don't need to change their habits to get this info. All you need to do is be like, hey, with that info, I'm going to advise you. That's so much, there's so much power there. God, you're, so you're... I, we, we do have to do a part two because I'm going to keep going. I have one okay. more thing. Blood glucose monitor. They do that technology already exists where it is automatically syncing to your phone via Bluetooth last two weeks. So for anybody who's listening who's you know, functions in the diabetic realm or pre-diabetic yeah. realm, yeah. when you get the highest level technology, there are blood glucose sensors that the 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 somewhat more recent version is you just had to tap your phone to it. Yeah. But even that, now you have a compliance thing. You have to remember to tap your phone every 12 right. hours. The newest one, all you have to get them to do is apply it, link it to their phone once, and it will continuously report their blood glucose monitor uh, results and data to you, to them. You know, uh, set up alerts when it spikes, set up alerts when it drops. And uh, just one example of how much powerful technology is out there that's oh, just man. waiting to be harnessed and waiting to change Dude, lives. I'm, you know, my mind's racing right now, but I was like, I'm thinking... If you wanted, you know, if you wanted to find a niche, if you were the number one fitness center for juvenile diabetes patients, right? They're automatic, and you just counsel them and you put together great workouts. If you were in a big enough city, you would seem like you are walking into the jungle, showing them a light bulb. I mean, the, the idea of that would be unbelievable. And parents with sick kids are so motivated to spend money on the absolute best. I mean, they'll, they'll forego the expert in their world to pay for their kids expert, you know, and that would just be an absolute fountainhead of, of money and expertise and the lives you would change. If you truly understood like, Hey, let's make sure that these, you know, like that these glucose numbers change based on your workout or, Oh, what we're, we're seeing a bad trend here. Just the ability to see that life changing. Life-changing. It, um, you can't describe how much healthcare that is in that, in just that ability. So, so yes. The, the thing that part I take two. a lot of pride in is that, yeah. <laughs> yes, part two, I, I always practice what I preach. So there's a lot of business educators out there who, you know, the reality is, is that they are just straight business educators. They have lost their touch with the client facing side. And, um, you know, the business coaching realm has gotten a little bit slimy. Let's just put it that way. I, I don't consider myself a business coach. I consider myself a co-founder of a business incubator. And, you know, there are great business coaches out there. Some have personally helped me and changed my life. 
But the sad reality is that the market's been saturated with people that have no clinical experience at all, just yeah. trying to pretend like they they got something. And the, you know, so I have multiple patient-facing businesses, but one I'm launching in the next quarter is a non-medical approach for kids with ADHD. Because I, I've had ADHD my entire life, and up until 2017, I viewed my brain as something that was broken and you know, I had a period of time where I was medicated mm. from 2013 through 15 that almost ruined my life. Took mm. me to a very dark place, which I do talk about and share on social media. And it, it, it was always part of my mission, having a bachelor's degree in psychology, that I wanted to disrupt the, and have an example of what disruption looks like in the, 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 the field of psychology in some capacity. And especially if we could help kids with this really gift, you know, and again, I know for some people, if you have a child with ADHD, it might be hard to hear that, but I believe wholeheartedly that what they have is a gift that needs to get unlocked. And what, what we're launching here in Florida is, uh, you know, a really technology forward ADHD approach where we're going to be using EEG monitors in real time, uh, both in person as a hybrid clinic. So kids will come in and either get oriented to the technology and the hardware that they take home and their parents walk them through, or they come back to the clinic and, and they get ran through this series of technology and coaching and how to unlock their brain. And the parents go through all this coaching and they're going to be met matched with a real-time GPT coach. So imagine a parent who their child is having some sort of outburst of behavior. And instead of reacting in the moment, they go to their, their own AI chatbot and says, my, who's been programmed by our panel of experts, my child is doing this behavior and chat GPT equivalent, our version of it says, take a breath, do the steps one, two, and three. Think about the impact on that child's life. Think about that impact on that family unit. And um, I think it's going to change a lot of lives. It's awesome, man. Part, part two, let's do it. Let's get on the books. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, this has been a great conversation, Frank. I really appreciate the time. Uh, on behalf of Frank Benedetto, this is Dr. Josh Satter saying, go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's Clinic gymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. We've got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients.